Hello, beautiful people, and welcome back, or should I say, welcome to Finding Fertility. That's right, I'm rebranding. Um, maybe you've seen it over on Instagram or on my TikTok or on the website, but I am putting everything into one name. Um, I think it was getting a little bit like all over the place with having Mindful Me, which Mindful Me actually was never supposed to be a company that I did on my own. It was, it was started with a journal and we had really big plans to make um, a few different types of infertility journals and then go into other areas of um, you know support for people like cancer or grieving, lots of different things. So when my business partner walked away, I was left with this beautiful company, Mindful Me, and um, I just kind of put my health coaching um, together with it. And then my Instagram has been like positive fertility. And then I went to Fertility Reconnect, which is still a course. And then the infertile diagnosis, um, this podcast here. And the infertile diagnosis, um, in my head is an amazing title because we get caught up um, with our infertile diagnosis and you know we only focus on that and in reality um, you know if you've listened to this long enough that focusing on your infertile diagnosis just isn't good enough but I don't necessarily think it's um, everyone is getting that and understanding that so I just had some self-exploring to do, and um, I came up with Finding Fertility um, with some help from a lovely lady. So today on Finding Fertility, I thought I would talk about what I think I did right during my infertility journey, because I think the last time I talked to you solo, I talked about my things that I did wrong, <laughs> which I had five of them. Um, I probably could have gone on. This time I only have, I think, two. Two things that in hindsight, I did right. And I say hindsight because I didn't purposely do these things. Um, you might have heard me talk about them before, but yeah, I didn't purposely. Oh, and there goes my, my light that I had. Anyways, the two things that I did right um, the first thing that I did right was we took our time. Now, this definitely wasn't on purpose. And if I was the driving force of this, uh, we probably wouldn't have taken our time. I would have probably been a little bit more like, come on, let's go. Let's do another round of IVF. Let's do this. Let's do this. Where um, I really let my husband kind of take the lead in this um, part of our journey um, and he was very much so relaxed about the whole thing. <laughs> He's kind of like a little Yoda, my husband, but um, he just wasn't in a rush to do back-to-back -back anything. And so after our first failed IVF, 
we took some time and just really explored our options. I went and found a new clinic. Um, I read a book about, you know, is your body baby friendly? So the clinic that I sought out was um, kind of advanced in that time. It was doing the immune um, testing. We also changed up our diet. So we decided to give um, ourselves some time to let that improve our situation. We didn't really know at the time how dramatic it was going to improve it. It wasn't like someone said to us three months or six months. Um, we just kind of let it play out. We also were paying for everything ourselves. So I think that had um, a big play in it. We um, did it when we had the money or we knew we were going to be a little bit more financially secure and not get ourselves into a whole lot of debt. Um, that was really important to my husband. There was um, definitely no, you know, taking out major loans or selling our house or anything like that. We decided that we were only going to do it if we had the money. Um, so we took our time between our two IVFs and, you know, that made a huge um dramatic difference in our journey because if we would have done back-to-back -back IVFs, our situation wouldn't have improved. We really needed that time to improve my health especially um, and give my body the best chance to start healing, which it did. Um, if you've been following me long enough, you know that my um, two IVFs were dramatically different with one at 30 years old getting no viable embryos um, we did transfer two embryos but they were very low quality um, a lot of fragmentation in them and on our second ivf we actually collected less eggs but got um, five five healthy embryos they said six but they only froze the sixth one because um, they were freezing other ones anyways so that was a huge win for us, and that allowed us to um, really continue with our journey. You know, we weren't just, you know, throwing darts in the dark, seeing like, oh, well, just do another round. If it's, a, you know, it's just numbers, right? When you're doing round and round and round after IVF, um, of IVFs, it is literally throwing darts in the dark to see if you're going to get that one golden egg. So taking the time, improving our health. Um, after that failed, we demanded the immune testing that we went to the clinic for. If you know the story, we got talked out of it because I wasn't having reoccurring miscarriages. And we found out that I had high NK cells. So we took some time and um, we actually were moving around that time too. We moved from York in England to Anglesey in North Wales. And right before we moved, we did the frozen embryo transfer because our clinic was in Sheffield. I literally le left my house, like gave the keys, we sold our house, gave the keys over, spend the night at a friend's house, went to the clinic in Sheffield, did the frozen embryo transfer, and then drove, I think it's like a five hour drive to North Wales. So anyways, I got pregnant that round, and if you know my story, I had a miss miscarriage, and we took in between then and going back, so that was July, 
we didn't go back for our second frozen embryo transfer until March. So we took another like eight, nine months. And in this time, I did a lot more study about autoimmune issues, which high NK cells is an immune issue and what was actually causing these NK cells. And that's when I found out about the autoimmune diet and protocol. And then I shifted my diet yet again. Um, so when people like, or maybe even you feel this way, like I've changed my diet, it doesn't work. Diet and lifestyle doesn't work. You know, that could be a really big reason why it didn't work because it wasn't the right diet for you. I am a shining example of that. So um, we waited yet again. I improved my diet. And during this time, I was really doing big mental um, health shifts as well. And we did our frozen embryo transfer. And yeah, that's our IVF baby. So from the time of trying to conceive to having our first baby was seven years around that. And it wasn't because we were doing round after round of IVF or IUIs and they were failing. Um, you know, in the grand scheme of things, there's people out there who have a two-year journey and have done way more IVFs or medical treatment than I have. It was the simple fact that we just really took our time to, you know, for different reasons. And in hindsight, we were so fortunate because it gave us that time to sort my shit out. Like I, my body needed time to heal. And nowadays I think that, you know, there are more open and willing to do these autoimmune tests. And um, some clinics are like, here's the autoimmune suppressing or here's this um, immune suppressing drugs. So if I would have had all that knowledge at the beginning of my journey, I wouldn't have done diet and lifestyle. I know I wouldn't have. Um, I would have just done the IVF and done the immune suppressing drugs. But I'm so grateful that that did not happen to me because of my knowledge now about epigenetics. And this month we're doing like a whole epigenetics thing and um, knowing the impact that if I would have not changed um, much about my diet, like for me, I had to change some stuff to get viable eggs. Um, okay, maybe if I would have done five, six rounds of IVF, I would have maybe possibly got a golden egg, but it was probably highly unlikely. But even if I just did the bare minimum to get some eggs, you know, the impact that could happen um, of the poor health that I was passing on to my children, um, yeah, definitely even though I don't wish anyone anything, I, I, I would never want to go back to the beginning. Um, but now the knowledge that I have about epigenetics, I would. I would do it all over again, knowing that the time I took has not, you know, not only improved my own health, but has improved you know, the health of my children, you know, the longevity, you know, it's not just about having a baby, a healthy baby there, you know, we do things, things change and grow through their whole lives. And I'm sure you've heard me talk about, you know, I have two sons, my, my husband's side of the family, um, his brother, his father, his grandfather, all had prostate cancer. 
So that is a genetic thing. My husband has it. My sons are born with it. That's a genetic thing that I cannot change. But I know that the work that I did before they were born, during my pregnancy, um, has given them, you know, a better chance of one, maybe not ever, it might not ever grow. Who knows? I'm definitely sure that my sons are going to like be party animals like I was in their like teens and 20s. <laughs> but, um, you know, you can only control so much, right? But I know that my journey has um, just given my boys a little bit of an extra boost to manage um, what is genetically given to them. So that is the first thing in hindsight that I did right is that I was slow in my journey, that I didn't rush because I know that we all want to be pregnant yesterday. And it's really hard to put um, the brakes on you know, we always think like when we're taking care of our health, which might be three months to six months that we are putting the brakes on, on our journey, which in reality, um, for a lot of us, it actually might be speeding up the process. I think if, um, I had this knowledge right after my failed IVF, it wouldn't have taken me another six years for my journey to end. Um, I think I was like at least willing at that stage. So if I had to go straight on the autoimmune um, diet, then I would have. Um, and I think I would have achieved my ultimate goal a lot sooner, even though at the time it probably would have felt like decades, right? But in hindsight, you do it then, okay, let's say it even took me a year, that still would have saved me five years. So it's crazy. It's crazy to think of things like that. So the second thing that I did right um, has to go all back to the epigenetics. Um, gaining this knowledge um, about epigenetics. So I learned about epigenetics right before we went and did our second embryo transfer, um, which became our first son. And this knowledge can be really like overwhelming and all consuming. I always think about like Neo and taking the red pill and the blue pill, you know, like once you have this knowledge, it's really hard not to live your life in a normal way. You know, you're kind of always like looking at food or like hair products or all that, like in a different light. And sometimes it's just like, you need to calm yourself down. Um, because it can get really overwhelming. And when you're, you know, trying, like for me, I didn't really have like really good guidance. Um, I didn't have anyone necessarily sitting in my corner going like, look, if you eat that hamburger with the bun on it, it is not going to be the end of the world. You are, you know, not going to cause, you know, like great harm to your child. But um, at that stage, especially during that frozen embryo transfer, like I was just petrified. And um, so there's a really good balance between this. Like I'm not talking about being perfect because you obviously can't control everything. Like even if you are perfect, things can happen genetically that are out of your control. But I um, 
was really mindful that I was taking these immune suppressing drugs. And that is a really big debate out there. I covered this actually in um, two YouTube videos um, about some of the doctors not doing the immune suppressing drugs because there is no evidence of what happens or what can happen to a fetus during this time. Because when you're using immune suppressing drugs, you're on steroids. Um, and if anyone knows anything about steroids, the shit fucks you up, man. Like, it is hands down the worst thing I was on during all of my infertility stuff. And, um, you know, we, you know, people don't know the implications of taking these drugs during the first three months of your baby's life, um, you know, and the first three months is critical time, you know, everything is forming, like your baby has a heartbeat at seven weeks old. So, um, you know, the big issue, and I, and this is why I was so hard on myself, um, like having the bone broth, like every other day, and, you know, there was times I did not want to have it. It made me feel sick. And I was like, you get the stuff down your throat. Um, being really super strict on my autoimmune paleo diet. Um, you know, I did have some cheats in, but they were the best cheats I could possibly get. Um, yeah, just being really health conscious during this time because I wasn't a normal pregnancy. I was taking these really hardcore drugs to help me get pregnant. And with the knowledge of epigenetics, I just wanted to do the best I possibly could in that situation. I'm really grateful for the knowledge because once again, I do feel like all the things that I had control over, I did the best that I could possibly do. So whatever outcome happened after that, I knew I, 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 didn't, I wasn't going to beat myself up over it because I put in the best I possibly could. So I felt I did really well in that. And that is my advice. You know, I get a lot of women coming to me asking about what drugs did you use? You know, how do you get your doctor to prescribe them? Like, do you think I could just go get steroids and use them myself? And um, I'm really glad that there's doctors out there that are not giving these drugs to women because they've taken this oath and they're to them, their oath is like, well, we don't know what the outcomes of these drugs are. It's unproven. So we're not going to do it. Um, I know it sucks. I know that, um, you know, if I didn't have the knowledge that I had, I would feel the frustrations that you might be feeling right now. But um, I'm telling you, that the knowledge of epigenetics and what you, the possible implications of using these drugs and not fixing your health on top of that could possibly have to your pregnancy and to your child's long-term health is really big. And um, it's a lot to think about. Like I, I remember being there and just being like, like, you know, the emoji, like head guy thing. Um, yeah, it's insane. But I would say that's something that you can work on now and something that I slowly worked on during my journey. So when I got to the point of pregnancy, you know, whether you're using the immune suppressing drugs or not, 
that during your pregnancy, you keep up all these healthy habits. You know, the ultimate goal is to give your child the best health and happiness that they possibly can get from you. And being healthy before you conceive, being healthy during your pregnancy is the one thing you can control. You have that control. So, you know, like I said, it's not about being perfect, but it's about being the best that you can be for your child before you even look into their eyes. And then obviously on the flip side of that, the emotional work that you're doing now, you are not going to continue that on with your children. You know, I always talk about how I came from a loving home. I don't have any qualms with my upbringing, but I definitely got like some old school teasing or like telling, you know, like in a joking way, like you're not good enough um, or you can't do something. Um, you know, obviously I talked about like being told Wendy the whiner wasn't invited. So all these little things that you will start noticing um, about yourself and about your childhood, you can start putting in the work to change that for your children. So we are very conscious of like how we talk to our child and um, or our children and that we don't do teasing. We don't tell them, you know, even with food, like they're kids, right? They're like, they love vegetables when they're babies and then they don't like the vegetables when they turn one and a half. It's like a biological bullshit thing. I don't know. But we don't sit there and say, don't give them the vegetables. And then when they say, I don't like it, I'm like, what are you talking about? You love it. And so like our eldest child now talks about vegetables, um, like like that their superpower this doesn't mean he sits there and eats his vegetables all the time but in his brain he thinks that their superpower so therefore you know it's implanting that seed right that was just my little dinger uh sorry about that um but there it is. Those are the two things I did right in hindsight. I did not purposely do these things, but these are two things that are really big driving force in um, the message I want to get out there, the support I want to give you, and the coaching that is available. So um, I really hope that um, that you you know take this on board, let us sink in. Put it in your subconscious and um, take it through your journey with you. So thank you so much for tuning in. We've got two amazing interviews coming up um, at the end of the month. I'm super excited about them. Um, I think they're game changers. Obviously, I think they're game changers. But uh, that is it. Um, Go over to the website. We are now at findingfertility.co. Sign up to the email list. There's lots of love on there. Obviously, you can find me over on YouTube and Instagram and TikTok. They're all under Finding Fertility now. Thank you so much for joining in. I hope you have a beautiful weekend and we will see you next week.